Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The tzaddik is one who is already a servant of Hashem. He has already made the change, made the transition. And his whole being has become godly, his whole being serves Hashem. He serves Hashem with his entire being. So he no longer has the conflict in good and evil. So he has already made the change. It's already a done deal. It's already, it's a, it's a noun. It's his, it's, his, it's his reality. Then you have the Rasha. The Rasha is one who does not serve Hashem, who transgresses. And then you have the Benini. In the Benini itself, you have two levels. You have the one who's Oived and the one, the one who does not serve, the one who serves and the one who doesn't serve, meaning the one who's changing, the Rebbe explains, the one who's changing and who has to overcome his nature, has to sacrifice, has to exert himself, and he's doing it for the sake of Hashem, he's pushing himself, and then you have the Jew, the Bainani, who's perfect. His behavior is perfect. Thought, speech, and action. He has no struggle. He has no struggle. It may be difficult for us to relate to it, but you know, we all have moments. We have moments that are easier than others. There are moments when it's a tremendous struggle. And there are moments when everything seems to be gliding along. There's no great struggles. We're inspired or... We don't feel any great challenge. We don't have to deal with any great challenge. And there are people who live their entire life that way. They're, they're just by nature. They're just not central people. So the world doesn't really speak to them very strongly. So it's not a great challenge for them. So they're perfect, but they're not really serving Hashem. They're not changing. It doesn't really demand too much of them they don't have to dig deep. They don't have to overcome a challenge. And the Talmud gives the analogy. The Talmud says the analogy is, the Talmud says the one who serves Hashem is one who studies Torah 101 times. The one who doesn't serve Hashem is one who studies Torah 100 times. And then he gives the parable of the market of donkey drivers. That if they go 10 parsa then you have to pay one zuz, one dollar. But if you go 11 parsa, a tenth more, you have to pay double. And now the Rebbe is going to explain the analogy in the, in the Talmud. This explains a Talmudic statement that he who serves God refers to one who revises his studies 101 times, while he who serves him not refers to one who revises his studies only 100 times. It seems strange that this 101st revision should outweigh all the previous 100 and should earn the student the designation of he who serves God. However, when we appreciate the struggle one must face in order to learn more than is his custom, this is readily understood, as the Alter Rebbe goes on to explain. How can one, the one time, make such a difference? One who studies every piece of Torah 100 times 
that the verse refers to him as one who doesn't serve God. And by studying that extra, that one extra time, suddenly he's turned and transformed into one who worships God. How can that one time make such a huge difference from one who doesn't worship God to one who does worship God? So he explains, this is so. This is so because in those Talmudic days, it was customary to review each lesson 100 times. Thus, to review 100 times did not require any effort. It was second nature. Only the 101st revision, which required effort beyond the student's custom, could gain him the appellation of he who serves God. So it's, it's a qualitative difference. It's, it's going the extra mile. It's pushing yourself, doing something unnatural, doing something that's difficult for you to do. A hundred times, you got used to it. That became your habit. That's, that's your fix, that's your habit. It's going that extra mile, that now you're already pushing yourself beyond the limit. So it's really, it's a quality thing. It's a personal, subjective thing. It's not the how much, the amount. It's the idea of going beyond your nature, pushing the limit, pushing the envelope, doing something unnatural, doing something that's difficult for you to do. Only for the sake of Hashem. Why would a person do something that's difficult for him to do? You're not doing it for the fun of it, because it's not fun. You're doing it only for the sake of Hashem. Okay. The Talmud illustrates this by the analogy of the market of the donkey drivers. The drivers would charge one zuz for ten parsi, Persian miles, but demanded two zuz for driving eleven parsi, for driving an eleventh mile exceeded their customary practice. Therefore, this 101st revision, which is beyond the normal practice to which the student has been accustomed since his childhood, is equivalent to all the previous 100 revisions combined. In fact, its quality surpasses them in its greater strength and power so that it is only this one extra revision which entitles a student to be called he who serves God. It's a difference between 100 and 101. Why does the Torah... The number is also very precise. As the commentaries say, the Masha explains, Maya refers to the human personality is made up of the ten faculties, the ten kochot nefesh corresponding to the ten sefirot, like we learned earlier in chapter 3. And each of the ten sefirot contains all the other ten, so it's ten times ten is a hundred. In other words, that's your, your nature, your surface nature, your conscious nature. When you have to go beyond your nature, that's 101, you're reaching. You're reaching to your godly self. You have to reach deep inside, deep down inside. You have to reach part within you, the divine spark within you. That's when you have to exercise true freedom of choice. True freedom of choice, if a person does something that's habitual, something that's comfortable, you don't really have to freedom of choice, like an animal. It's an, act, it's an instinctive act. It becomes like an instinctive act. Animals act instinctively. Most people live their lives, we do things that are comfortable. We only do things that are we're creatures of habit. We do things, we take the path of least resistance. We all do things that are comfortable. And that includes doing good things, holy things. But we do it as much as long as, it, as, much as it's needed, as much as necessary, or as much as we feel comfortable doing. But it's when you have to reach beyond comfort level, when you have to discomfort yourself, and push, exceed the, push the envelope, exceed yourself, rise above yourself, that's when you touch the divine essence inside of you. That's when you're really exercising your freedom of choice. That's where choice is. We have a choice to rise above our nature, do something contrary to our nature, to go against ourselves, to rise above ourselves, to stretch. That's the flexibility that only a human being has. 
Everything else in the universe are creatures of, of habit or of instinct. Angels, animals. A human being is the only one that has the ability to really go beyond himself. To surprise us. That's why man is full of surprises. Most of us are so predictable, it's not even funny. Because we're just creatures of habit. So we, you can almost put anyone who's wise, you can predict almost what the person's going to say, or the person's going to act, the person's behave. But a person is truly unpredictable because at any moment we can make a quantum leap, we can make a choice that will take us, we can surprise ourselves, we can do things that are, go against our nature. And it's, it's only a point, it's a quality thing, it's not a quantity thing. It's 101, the difference between 100, you have a huge quantity, but it's an extra one. You know, never judge a book by its cover. You can have a, a Jew who's doing 612 mitzvahs. And they fit the part. They live in the right neighborhood and have a payers to the floor and they're doing six, 612 mitzvot. But no one knows that yesterday they did 613. Or yesterday they also did 612. And the day before they did 612. And they grew up this way. Or they've grown accustomed to it. So they're, they're, just, they're just coasting along an automatic pilot. You can have a Jew who did one mitzvah, put on tefillin the first time in his life, lit a Shabbat candle the first time in his life, and yesterday did zero mitzvah, a Jew in, in, in Montana. And yesterday that Jew did zero mitzvah. So who's growing? Who's more connected to Hashem? To whom is Hashem's reality more, more concrete, more real? Why is the Jew pushing himself and putting on tefillin and lighting a Shabbat candle? Only for the sake of Hashem. Not doing it for any ulterior motive, he's doing it because he wants to connect with Hashem. When does a Jew truly connect with Hashem? The 101. When do you, the one refers to Hashem? When you, which transcends nature, which is defined by 10. Hashem creates the world with the 10 Sfirot. These are the building blocks of, 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 of creation. All of, all, the entire universe is made up of the 10 Sfirot. 10 times 10 is 100. That's the world, the universe of nature. But the 101 refers to Hashem. When do you really connect with Hashem? It's when you go beyond your nature. When you're truly touching your conscience inside of you. That personal choice. Otherwise, it's mechanical. It's mechanical, it's almost machine-like. Like animals, instinctive. Even angels. It's all, it's all fixed. It's a mechanical event. Only we have a soul. We're created in the image of Hashem. We have a conscience. We have a soul. When do you activate that soul? That personal... And you create a personal relationship with Him, a personal connection to Hashem. It's only when you go beyond, when you do something that's uncomfortable for you. It's unnatural for you. You have to push yourself. That's your choice. It's a personal choice. I'm not doing it because there's nothing technical, mechanical pushing me to do this. On the contrary, everything within me is pushing me not to do this. It goes against my nature. It's, a, it's uncomfortable. You're doing it, it's a personal choice. I'm doing, I'm doing it for, this, for the sake of Hashem. And by divine providence, <coughs> we're just starting to read the third book in the title, the book of Vayikra, the book of sacrifices, which is a central theme in the entire title. Why is sacrifice such an important theme in the title? Hashem needs our sacrifice. 
And we find amongst the patriarchs, actually, the patriarch, the second patriarch, Isaac, was like a sacrifice. His essence was like a sacrifice. He, like, he was ready to sacrifice his life on the Akkad. His relationship to Hashem was the most intense. That's why he lived the longest. The fact that he lived the longest of all the patriarchs, the reflection that in a certain sense he, made, he was the holiest. He was a sacrifice. He was the only one who was not allowed to leave the land of Israel. And when Mashiach will come, we're going to relate to Yitzchak more, to Isaac more than we relate to all the other patriarchs. What's the idea of sacrifice? The idea of sacrifice is you know, a Jew has a relationship with Hashem. It's only through sacrifice that you truly see that a Jew has a relationship with Hashem. The only way we can truly relate to Hashem is only through sacrifice. Because what is a relationship? A relationship is a two-way street. If Hashem gives and we receive, it's not a real relationship. Hashem gives and we receive. That's what Avram Avinu represents. Avram Avinu represents receiving, acknowledging being grateful, being thankful for Hashem, recognizing everything we have comes from Hashem, realizing that Hashem is doing a kindness. Everything we have is a gratuitous kindness from Hashem. He doesn't know it's a thing, and He gives us life, and He gives us health, and He gives us a spouse, and He gives us children, and He gives us whatever He gives us. And we're grateful and thankful, we receive it, and we acknowledge it and recognize it, and in turn, we become godly, and we also become givers. Whatever Hashem gives us, we share with others, because we become godly. Just like Hashem gives us gratuitously, we in turn... Avram opened his home, opened his tent. Whatever Hashem gave him, he shared. His wisdom, his time, his wealth. Everything he had, he shared. Because he recognized that Hashem gives and we receive. But that's not what a relationship is. A true relationship really begins with Yitzchak. The first marriage in the Torah we find is Yitzchak's marriage. Because that's a real relationship. A real relationship is when it's a two-way street. Not just God gives and we receive. But Hashem gives, and we also give. We give back. It's a two-way street. We want to give something to Hashem. Not only are we grateful that we receive, we want to give something to Hashem. What can we give to Hashem? When we owe nothing. We have nothing. Avraham Avinu recognized whatever we have belongs to Hashem. If we have looks, if we have energy, if we have talents, if we have success, whatever we have really belongs to Hashem. So honestly speaking, what do we have to give? We don't have anything. The only thing we have to give, the only thing that we possess that's truly ours, is sacrifice. When we sacrifice ourselves, and we do something that's difficult for us to do, only for the sake of Hashem, that's an offering that we can offer to Hashem. It belongs to us. It's ours. When you do something that's difficult for you to do, and you have to exert yourself, it's yours. You own it. That's truly yours. It's like the famous story, Moses Montefiore was very friendly with the Queen of England. She asked him, tell me, Moses, what's your, what's your real worth? This was before the Forbes 400. So there's no way to assess a person's values. He says, he says give me a week, I'll come back to you. A week later, he comes back with a number. The Queen says, wait a minute, even I know without knowing anything, without investigation, that you're worth a lot more. He says, Your Majesty, you don't understand. This is all the money I gave to charity. He says, everything else, do I really own it? Today I can have it, tomorrow I can lose it. 
stock market crashes, in one moment, half of my wealth is wiped out. But this, I own. No one could ever take away from me. What I gave to tzedakah, I reached into my pocket and I gave a piece of myself. That's mine forever. That I possess. That I truly own. When a person sacrifices, when a person exerts effort, when a person puts in effort, when you study Torah and it's difficult, you have to really understand it and really tax when it taxes you. And it stretches you. And you have to push yourself. You're exhausted, you're tired, and you push yourself. And you go that extra mile, and you do that extra mitzvah, and you push yourself to do another favor, and to learn an extra minute, and to give an extra penny to tzedakah. That sacrifice you own. That's yours. And that's what we offer to Hashem. And that's what Hashem finds so pleasing. What was Yitzchak's name? Yitzchak's name was Tzachayik Asali Alakim. Laughter. What is laughter? Where does laughter come from? Entertainment? The entertainment business? Maybe that's why the Jews are so predominant in the entertainment business. Yitzchak, laughter, humor. Why, are we so, why does Hashem find us so entertaining? And especially Yitzchak, that was his name. Because this is Hashem's entertainment. What moves Hashem? What touches Hashem like nothing else? It's sacrifice. Because it's unnatural. The way of the world is a natural way of the world is Hashem gives... And we receive. That's normal. Hashem is the creator. Hashem has everything. He has all the cards. We have nothing. And He gives us everything. He creates us. He sustains us. He gives us. And we acknowledge and we're thankful and we're grateful. And that's normal. That's natural. That's to be expected. What's unnatural is that we become givers. We become a source and we give to Hashem. That is something completely unnatural. That's entertaining to Hashem that we have something to give and we give back to Hashem, this Hashem finds entertaining and we're totally unpredictable. Because sacrifice means going beyond nature. So you can't predict it. It's a human being, a Jew, tapping into his divine spark and exercising his true freedom of choice and making a personal choice. When you do something that's difficult for you to do, it's personal. Everything else is just mechanical, technical. It's just a creature of habit. Uh, whether it's environment, whether it's nurture or nature, but you're just a creature of environment. It's not, it's not the real you. When do you really become a real person and you do something personal and the reflection of your soul, which is a reflection of Hashem, and then it's as if the whole universe dissolves and all that exists is you and Hashem, person-to-person call, a one-on-one, one-to-one, a personal relation, a personal connection. It's only when you sacrifice. Sacrifice what? It doesn't matter. It's a personal thing. It's a subjective thing. It's everyone on their own level. Whatever you do, no matter how great you are, once you get used to it, then it becomes habitual, it becomes second nature, then it's no longer a sacrifice. Then you can just coast along. An automatic pilot. But any moment, any time, whenever you have to do something that's difficult for you to do, and you have to reach into your neshama, at that moment, at that moment, you're real. At that moment, you're, you're touching the divine spark inside of you. And you're connecting with Hashem. And you evoke Hashem's laughter. That becomes entertainment, Hashem. That's a novelty. Unpredictable. Something, something surprising. That's when Hashem is real to you. Otherwise, Hashem is just an abstraction. Hashem is not real. If Hashem doesn't inspire you, and Hashem doesn't 
challenging. It doesn't evoke any personal deep response inside of you. Then it's not real. Then Hashem is just an abstraction, a mental abstraction, a spiritual abstraction, a crystal energy. It doesn't mean anything. Yes, you're doing everything that's right, but it's, it's not a reality. If Hashem is real, I should be jumping out of my skin. What am I doing about it? If Hashma Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, if Hashem is truly one and unique and there's no other reality but Hashem, I should be jumping out of my skin. What am I doing about it? It should challenge me. It should awaken me. It should move me. It should inspire me. It should ignite something inside of me, like a fire. Something has to burn. Hashem is compared to a fire. Something, a sacrifice, you have to burn the sacrifice. Fire. Something has to give. In order for the fire to burn, something, the wood has to give. If the material doesn't give, if nothing gives, if everything stays the same, you can't burn. No deposit, no return. Something has to give. The material has to sacrifice itself to allow the inner, the neshama, the, the energy to release to the energy. To transform matter into energy, something has to give. If nothing gives in your life, if you don't sacrifice and you don't inconvenience yourself, and you don't do anything that's uncomfortable, and you don't push yourself and you don't exert yourself, then there's no room for the fire of Hashem, the divine fire inside of us to, to ignite then the dynamite remains there. The, the, we all have the dynamite inside of us, but it remains unignited. It remains potential, hidden potential, a latent spark, but there's no fire. So in order to burn, something has to give. And that's, that's, that's what sacrifice is. So, al Rebbe is saying that Yiddishkeit, ultimately it's all about changing, changing your nature. A Jew who studies Torah and davens, prays, and does mitzvah, but he doesn't personalize it, doesn't take it to heart, doesn't change anything in his characteristic or in his nature, whether it's dealing with anger or dealing with jealousy or dealing with any issues that we have personally. If it doesn't change anything inside of us, if we don't apply what we're learning and apply the experience, the holiday experience, or the Shabbat experience, or the prayer, if it, we don't apply it to our personal life and make a dent in our life, and make a change, that as a result of this, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to polish this diamond in the rough that we all are. I'm going to take this hide, this raw hide of the animal, and work with it to make it into something fine and silky and, and smooth and... If I don't change anything in my habit, if I don't change anything, then it's not real. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's hated with a passion. What's called in Hebrew a maskil. There were two types of chassidim. There were two categories of chassidim. There was a maskil and there was an oivet. An oivet was a chassid who studied a lot of chassidut and a very deep comprehension of chassidut but then would spend hours praying, would spend hours internalizing this, this, the, these teachings and tr trying to inspire himself with it, trying to relate to it on the personal level. You know, take all this in, in, fancy talk about the tense we wrote and the infinite light and God encompasses the world and God fills all the worlds and God is one. And trying to find the bottom line is, so how does this affect me? Bring it home. Relate to it on a personal level. How is this going to change my life? 
How's this going to change how I wake up in the morning? How's this going to make me a better person? What am I going to do different as a result of this information, of this knowledge? And they would spend hours praying, trying to internalize this knowledge and integrate it. And, and change, and be inspired, and be moved. While there were other Hasidim, a group of Hasidim, that were called masculine, brilliant minds. But they enjoyed the studying, the philosophy, the understanding, the depth. But they didn't personalize it. They didn't bring it home. They wouldn't spend so much time praying. They, would, they were busy all day learning. And the prayer, they, that, wasn't, that wasn't where the, that was at. It was at. The heart, it was more the mind. The Rabbeim, it's no exaggeration to say, hated with a passion. They couldn't stand that group of chassid. What they call them a skill. Because that's what the Rebbe is talking about in this chapter. The one who doesn't serve Hashem is doing everything that's right. But it's, it's abstract, it's detached. It's terrible, right? It's not alive. It's not real. Everything in life, there's a test. How do I know if something is real or not real? The same thing when you serve Hashem. How do you know if it's real or it's not real? This is the test. The Talmud is giving us the test. You want to know if it's real or it's not real? You have a simple test. A hundred times or a hundred and one times. Are you doing something that's comfortable or is everything in your life comfortable or are you doing anything in your life that's uncomfortable for the sake of Hashem? Is there any sacrifice in your life? Is there any movement forward? Is there any growth? Is there any change? Is there any movement, any inspiration, any movement? Are you personalizing anything, internalizing anything? Or it's just abstract? And there were many they warned of the dangers. It's very dangerous. The, 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 the chassid who does, who's not an oivet, as the verse says, oivet alakim, who's not serving Hashem, trying to change and to transform his personality and his character, trying to apply everything that he learned and personalizing it. They were dangerous, pitfalls. That this chassid who's a masculine could end up, could end up turning into an addict, addicted. Because he has the depth, but there's like a disconnect. It's like a disconnected person. The mind is disconnected from the body. When Judaism becomes a hatred, and that's really the problem, that was the danger. That's what happened with the Ashkenazic Jewry. Becomes a what? A head trip. Oh. The Judaism becomes a mental trip, a head trip, and it's all in the head. And it's like an exaggerated head and totally, total disconnection with the body, with the heart, with the soul. And when Judaism becomes a head trip, divorced, disconnected from realities, of human realities, of the life, of your personality, your character, your traits, your working on yourself, working on your personality, working on your characteristics, traits, trying to change, trying to become a better person, trying to overcome difficulties. If you don't challenge yourself, and you're not constantly, continuously challenging yourself, and continuously connecting with Hashem in a real way, it's very dangerous. It could lead to the worst. It could lead to a person's downfall. Ultimately, it could lead to addiction. So, 
Hashem, this is the test of a Jew, is sacrificing something for Hashem. If a Jew is offering something to Hashem, if a Jew is giving back something to Hashem, if a Jew is really moved by the reality of Hashem, if a Jew is really internalizing the reality of Hashem Echad, that there is no other reality but God. And the way to do that is by doing that 101, going that extra mile. And it's very personal, very subjective. A person who's never run in his life, for him to take 10 steps is already 101. A person who runs every day, runs 10 miles, then 10 miles is 100. It's when he goes those extra few yards, when he's reached his limit, and he pushes himself. That's when you come alive. That's when your adrenaline really starts pumping. That's when you feel alive. So it's a very personal thing, it's a very subjective thing. Every person is different. And every person, every day is different. Yesterday's challenge is today's... What yesterday you thought was impossible. And you mastered, and you overcame. And you, and you, you, master, you overcame this challenge. Today, it's become a second nature. It's no longer a challenge. Now you have to challenge yourself to a higher level. So it's a constant challenge. And that's the 101. That's the test. If a Jew is truly serving Hashem, in the present tense. If it's a present vibrant reality if Hashem is a is a true reality in his life and that's what he explains now for in order to change his habitual nature he must arouse within himself the love of God by contemplating God's greatness in his mind in order to master the nature that is in the left part of the heart the seed of the animal soul which is full of the blood of the animal soul originating in Kalipa whence comes this nature and the power of his love enables him to transcend his nature. So the only reason why a Jew overcomes his nature is only out of love for Hashem. Why else would a Jew... Why are you doing this? You're not doing it for fun. It's difficult. It's a challenge. Why are you doing this? Why would a Jew push himself and give that extra penny to tzedakah? Why would a Jew push himself and study that extra minute of Torah? Why would a Jew push himself and come an extra morning to Daven? In the coil. Why would a Jew push himself to do anything extra? Why? Why are you overcoming your negative habits? Dealing with your anger, dealing with your arrogance, dealing with your laziness, or dealing with your negative challenges, or even overcoming positive habits. Why are you pushing yourself to do something that's difficult for you to do? You're only doing it out of love for Hashem. If you don't love Hashem, why are you doing this? It's only because you have a relationship with Hashem. You want to serve Hashem. You want to serve Hashem. You want to give Hashem something. You know that this is what Hashem finds, and this is Hashem's entertainment. This is what Hashem. This is Hashem's pleasure. This is what moves Hashem. Hashem is not moved when the Jew serves Hashem naturally. Hashem is not too excited. <laughs> doesn't doesn't excite him. Doesn't excite him. What excites him is. When a Jew overcomes a difficulty, that's what excites him. The heavens doesn't excite Hashem. It's this world that's so precious, Tasha. Like the Rebbe once explained, he said the difference between the difference between Hashem, the angels serving Hashem and a human beings serving Hashem. He says like a difference between a, a photograph and a portrait. So why is it that a photograph, people pay pennies for a photograph? 
a portrait, people will pay, what was it, it sold for the most money, uh, for a portrait recently, over $100 million? A portrait, people are ready to pay millions of dollars. A photograph is more accurate. It's a perfect replica. Portraits are really perfect. Portraits are, and yet, the photograph is worthless. <laughs> Worth very little value. And, and a portrait. Why? Because a photograph is a machine. You just copy it. What's the big deal? It's perfect. It's a dime a dozen. A portrait was made by an artist. An artist with a personality, with an ego that had challenges. He's pouring his heart, his soul, his experiences into that painting. That's what's so precious. The Rebbe says that's the difference between an angel and a human being. Angels are per pictures, perfect replicas. That billion, a zillion, infinite angels. What's their worth, Hashem? They're worth a penny. We in this world, we're portraits. Every time a Jew wakes up, wakes himself up spiritually, and every time a Jew lifts himself up and does a mitzvah and pushes himself and studies Torah and pushes himself to do kind, to be kind, instead of being arrogant, instead of being angry, instead of being jealous, instead of being lustful, a Jew does the right thing and overcomes his nature, overcomes his instincts, rises above nature and acts in a heroic way and sacrifices himself and does something, Hashem, this is, this is so precious. This is a portrait. This has infinite value. Infinite value to Hashem. You know, it's like the story, the famous uh, parable of Rabbi Yitzhak Abarditchev, why we blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah. So one of the reasons he gave a parable the king got lost in the forest. And the more he went to search for, his, for his, his, his team, he got lost and they couldn't find him. He's wandering in the forest for days. You know, he, since he grew up as a prince, he was spoiled. He's never left the palace. Here he is wandering alone in the palace. He's never been alone amongst wild animals. Anyway, a few days later, he miraculously survives. He's in, and he sees a little house, a little hut. He sees a light. He knocks on the door. He says, please, you have to help me. I'm the king. The, hot, the, hot, the owner looks, takes one look at the king. He's the king and I'm the queen of England. <laughs> the king's, or, king's wandering. <laughs> he looks like, looks like a chaya. <laughs> he looks like an animal by now. Disheveled, half insane, you know. Okay, the king, sure, your highness, come in. You know, he plays along with the guy. He's never starving. He needs help. He brings him in. He says, listen, I don't have much. But whatever I have, I'll share with you. So he takes out some, he takes off his clothes, he lies him out with some straw in front of the fireplace, he gives him some hard bread that he has. The next morning the king wakes up refreshed, he says, listen, you saved my life. If I would have been out in the, in the forest another night, <laughs> I wouldn't have made it. I can't thank you enough. Believe me, when I come back to the palace, I'm going to reward you. I said, sure, yes, yes, your highness, yes, your majesty. You miss him. He shows him how to get back to the highway. A week later, the royal carriage shows up, summons him to the palace, and he makes appoints him as personal minister. He says, let me tell you, I slept every night of my life, I slept in the palace. I had the best food, the best chefs. Trust me, nothing was as pleasurable as that little straw that you put in front of me, and that hard floor, and that cold hard floor, you put that straw in that little fire. And the bread that you gave me was tastier than <laughs> all the chefs, the best meals, best cuisine that the palace could offer. And I'll never forget what you've done to me. And therefore, I'm going to reward you and make me my minister. And um, 
many years later, once the king got angry at him, the king was about to behead him, he says, one last request, do me a favor. I have one request for you. Wear those clothes again that you wore <laughs> when you first met me. <laughs> and that's the reason the Jew blows the shayfar, because the shayfar is the shayfar at Sinai. Hashem went, it was a wasteland, this world was a wasteland, this world was a forest. Hashem went to every nation in the world, are you going to want to accept the Torah? He says, why, are you kidding? He went to every nation, and um, no one accepted it. And then he came to the Jews, and he said, Nasev and Ishma. So when Rosh Hashanah, when the Jews, Hashem is about to sentence us, we turn to Hashem and say, you know, just let, let's reenact that scene, <laughs> and remember why you fell in love with us, and why you loved us in the first place. But this is, this is life in this world. An angel praises Hashem all day and all night. It's to be expected. It's natural. They can't do otherwise. There's no choice involved. There's no, nothing personal. It's almost machine-like. It's almost like programmed, like an animal, instinctive. But a human being. And how could you compare our service to Hashem to an angel? We're like a little straw. A little hard black bread. We mumble some prayers or we barely understand the meaning of the prayers. But Hashem, this is more precious. This is more precious. Because in the darkness, imagine the setting. It's in the forest with wild animals. A jungle. And within this jungle, a Jew is doing something selfless and kind. Sacrificing, taking money, the ultimate ego symbol, and giving it stuck, giving it away. When everyone else is grabbing and taking and hoarding. Doing an act of chesed, doing something selfless. Sacrificing himself coming to school and praying to Hashem, talking to Hashem, communicating to Hashem, speaking to Hashem, studying Hashem's Torah, finding the time and the effort, the energy. To Hashem, this is infinitely precious. So this is what Hashem finds pleasurable. This is Hashem's entertainment. It's the sacrifice. It's because it's difficult. Why did Hashem make life so difficult? But this is what this world is all about. It's when when you have this trapping and this setting, and yet despite all of that, we're able to shine a light, to light a candle. You don't appreciate a candle. You don't appreciate light when the sun is shining. But if you're lost in a forest, every drop of light, a drop of water is, is life so refreshing. When you have water in abundance, you take it for granted. It's in the absence of water that the smallest light and the, the smallest drop of water suddenly becomes so precious. So that's why the world that we live in, the setting, is yes, we live in a very natural, habitual world. And most people, most people, almost all people, <laughs> live their lives habitually, comfortably. No one likes to go beyond the comfort zone. No one likes to do anything that's difficult to do. We take the path of least resistance. We all have certain biases, certain prejudices, certain instincts, and we all gravitate toward whatever our nature is. Some people are introverted by nature, so they dedicate their life, they read it, and they study, they enjoy it. Some people are extroverted by nature. So most people just fit right into their predictable. And when you have this sort of setting, and suddenly you have a struggle, Hashem sees a Jew struggling. Hashem sees a Jew overrising above his nature, acting heroically going beyond human nature, doing something heroically. And you know, it's not a quantity thing, it's a quality. Why do we all love heroes? Why do heroes appeal to us? A real hero. Because a hero is, is a human being who acts in a way that's totally unexpected, did something heroic, did, did something unnatural. 
Most human beings care about themselves. For a human being to sacrifice himself and to save a whole group of people and to save someone, it just touches a very deep chord within us. We, 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 we give this person a standing ovation. This person is a very special person because this person has risen above human nature. For, to act naturally, that's to be expected. For someone to act beyond human nature, that's, that's a hero. That's something unexpected. And we have a tremendous respect for someone like that. And you know, it's a quality thing. It's not a quantity thing. A hero is not someone who does something heroic every day of his life. Maybe once in his life he did something heroic. But forever, this person is going to be remembered as a hero. Because once in his life, he did something real. Once in his life, he did something unexpected. He has risen above the natural. The Eved Alakim is a Jew who rises above nature. Who's surprising us. Who's constantly surprising himself and surprising us. Who's pushing himself. Who's challenging himself. Who's working on his character. Changing. For the sake of Hashem. This is a person who's alive. This is a Jew who's tapping in to something real. This is a Jew who's connecting to Hashem. To the 101. He's really exercising his divine spark. He's really... And he's moving Hashem. Hashem is moved by him. He's fulfilling the purpose of creation. This is what creation is all about. This is what it's all about. This is what Hashem is waiting for. This is what gives Hashem infinite pleasure. This is Hashem's entertainment. This is what he watches all day. This is what he wants. This is what he's waiting for. With bated breath. That sacrifice. That, 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 that genuineness. Because it's so genuine. When a person acts naturally, that's not... That's, he just... It's mechanical. You don't have to touch something real or personal or conscience. But when a Jew rises above his nature, it's so genuine, it's so authentic, it's so divine, it's so godly, that this is what, this is what moves and stirs Hashem. This is why Hashem created the world. This is what He's waiting for. Every day and all day. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that every single moment we have to constantly do something that goes contrary to our nature. <laughs> On the contrary, a hundred times we're studying. It takes, it, takes a, it takes a long time to get to 101. You have to learn a hundred times and then you get to 101. The majority of your time, you have to serve Hashem with your nature. Hashem wants us to worship Him in a joyful way and we have to utilize the nature that Hashem gave us, the gifts that Hashem gave us. If we have a natural enthusiasm, we have to utilize it. 100%. But, like Avram Avinu, who is predominantly chesed, kindness, once in a while, we have, to, we have the test of the Akedah. We have to be able to do something that goes contrary to our nature. It's, those, it's that 101 times. It could be a moment. It could be one act. But the fact that you're ready for the sake of Hashem to go beyond your nature and sacrifice, that proves retroactively that everything that you've been doing till now is for the sake of Hashem. That you're not just doing it because it's natural. The hundred times also you're doing for the sake of Hashem. How do I know that the hundred times that I study I'm doing it for the sake of Hashem? Because I'm able to do 101. So then the entire 101 becomes connected to Hashem. If I stop at the hundred, that means the entire hundred, I'm not serving Hashem, I'm not even thinking about Hashem. I'm, I'm just following my nature. By doing the 101 times, you elevate the whole 100. The whole 101 now becomes connected with Hashem. Hashem tells Avram, Ata yadaiti, now I know. Now I know that the first nine tests are for real. Now I know that everything you've done in your life so far, the test of the Akedah pushing Avram beyond his limit, 
that proved that everything that Avram has been doing till now for the last 134 years was genuine. It was authentic. It was godly. Permeated by godliness. It wasn't about ego. It wasn't an ego trip. It was really about connecting to Hashem because he had a relationship with Hashem. That's what Hashem wants from us. He's not asking from us to, to live our life every moment. Our whole life should be uncomfortable and everything we do should be contrary to our nature. That's, that's impossible. That's not what He's asking from us. On the contrary, you have to utilize your nature. You have to luxuriate in your nature. You have to utilize your nature for the sake of Hashem. And that has to be your predominant way of serving Hashem. That is a signal from Hashem. That is your path. That's the way you serve Hashem. Hashem Avram was predominantly kind. And that's the way he served Hashem, through kindness. But once in a while, you have to rise above your nature. You can't be limited by your nature. You have to be ready to sacrifice. And that, then, everything that you do naturally is also for the sake of Hashem. That means you have a relationship with Hashem. That you're truly thinking about Hashem. You're internalizing, you're personalizing it, and you're taking God seriously. That it's for real. It's not just a mental abstraction. It's real. It's reality. As real as Hashem is. So where's the reality of Hashem truly expressed and reflected? Ultimately, it's when you go beyond your nature. Otherwise, you're not really in touch with the reality of Hashem. It's not a reality. It's superficial, external. But when does the reality of Hashem truly come alive? It's only the 101 times. When you do something that's difficult for you to do. And this is the challenge for the Benini. This is the challenge for the Benini. To serve Hashem means to be an Ovid, to work on yourself, work on your nature, to personalize it, to apply it. And not just to detach, you know, to, to take it to heart. Everything we learn, we should take it to heart. You can't just say, oh, it's interesting, and I don't have to take this to heart. It's just an interesting piece of information. That's the position of the masculine. And the Rabbeim hated that whole approach to life. They loved the Ayyavid. The Ayyavid took it to heart. Everything he learned, he took it to heart. Tried to personalize this. So how am I going to change? What am I going to do about this? He couldn't sleep. He tried, I have to do something about this. It has to affect me. How is this going to affect me? Like the famous story with you know, the, the first generation of Hasidim. They, wouldn't, they didn't grow up Hasidim. So a, someone who grew up uh, in a non-Hasidic environment who was the prized student of his yeshiva ran away and he became a Hasid. He comes home and he meets his Rosh Hashiva, his teacher, his former teacher. He says, why, why did you leave us? In our yeshiva, we taught you how to go through the entire Shas, how to master the entire Shas, the entire Talmud. How to study the entire Talmud. So what did you learn in, in Mizrich? What did you learn that you didn't learn that I didn't teach you? So he smiled and he says, Rebbe, in your yeshiva, you taught us how to master the entire shas, how to go through the entire shas. At Mizrich, I learned how the entire shas should go through us. <laughs> how the entire Talmud should master us. <clears throat> That's a different story. That the Torah should master us. The Torah should go through us. The Torah should penetrate us. The Torah should transform us and change us. And move us and inspire us. That's, that's taking it to heart. That's personalizing it. And that's the oivet. That's what Hashem is waiting for. That's what Hashem wants of us. Hashem wants something real. And what's real? It's quality. It's not quantity. Hashem doesn't want anything earth-shattering. He's not asking for anything earth-shattering. 
It's even a baby step, 101. It's going over the limit. Pushing it. For the sake of your love for Hashem. That's what it's all about. Can you continue? And this, to overpower one's animal soul through a love of God generated by meditation, is a perfect service for a Benini. An alternate type of service for a Benini is to arouse to a revealed state the love of God inherently found hidden in his heart, thereby to control the nature that is in the left part of the heart. This too is called serving God, although an imperfect service, to wage war against his nature and inclination by arousing the love hidden in his heart. The perfect service of the Benini is one who meditates and reflects and contemplates and acquires an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding of Godliness. And thereby evoking a passion and a love and a feeling and an attraction towards Godliness and Godly things. The second level, incomplete level, is when a Jew arouses, evokes the natural love for Hashem that every Jew has. We inherit just by being Jewish, we have a Jewish soul. That's what makes us Jewish. And we have a natural love to Hashem. Every Jew has a natural love to Hashem. I mean, otherwise, why would, we, why would we be observing and why would we, we be practicing and living as Jews? We're not doing it for the fun of it. <laughs> we, we, we don't even question it. We're Jewish and this is what a Jew has to do. A Jew has to study Torah and a Jew has to pray and a Jew has to do mitzvot and a Jew has to act kindly. And... and um, you know, this is, this, is what, this is what Jews do without, without even too much questioning. Every Jew, without questioning too deeply, we just know that we're Jewish and we have a connection to Hashem, we have a relationship with Hashem, and this is what we have to do. So it's a natural thing. So even if you don't acquire a deep, deep understanding and you don't meditate and contemplate with a penetrating and deep understanding, but just by evoking your Jewishness, reminding yourself, awakening that spark within us, reminding ourselves that we're Jewish and we have a relationship with Hashem. We're born with it. We don't have to create it. It's innate. It's inherent. And therefore, if I'm a Jew and I'm aware of this, then let me push myself. Let me do something for the sake of Hashem. Let me sacrifice for the sake of Hashem. Let me do something for the sake of Hashem. And thereby, I'm able to control the left part of the heart. I'm able to overcome my nature. Because a Jew, but a Jew who does not, if you don't, have this love of Hashem, if you don't feel this love for Hashem, it's very difficult. It's impossible to overcome your nature. Why push yourself? For many Jews, unfortunately, Judaism is a mechanical event. You just go through the motions. You go, it's all rote. It's all, it's like machines. You know, everything is perfect. But it's, it's machines. You're doing your obligations. You're fulfilling your obligations. But you don't really care. Your heart and soul are not really into it. And it's very superficial. Dead, empty, meaningless, irrelevant, soulless, no joy, no life. Some story you have to pinch your cheeks to get a smile. You know, there's no inner, inner joy, inner natural joy. It's organized exuberance. <laughs> And it's not real. The whole Judaism, you're going through the motions. Like a parrot. You're just copying what you saw at home, what your parents taught you, or your rabbi taught you. But it's, it, it's no reality. And so you can't change your nature. You can't overcome nature. Why would you? 
It's like paying income taxes. You do, you do the bare minimum, you do what you have to, and, and that's it. You know, you fulfill the obligations. Well, I have to do beautify a mitzvah. I have to go beyond my nature. I have to do something crazy. I have to do the nicest esrog, the nicest matzah, the nicest uh, lulav, the nicest tefillin. I'll do what I have to, and that's it. When it comes to buying my own suits, of course, I'm going to buy the nicest. Only Italian, only Italian shoes. They're there. I'm not going to settle for, for a regular American suit. But when it comes to, to, to mitzvah, it's a pair of tefillin. Comes to mikvah as long as it functions, it's good. It's good enough. Who says it has to be the most beautiful? Who says the tefillin has to be the nicest and the best and the biggest and the most mahudr? I should spend money. So you're not going to go beyond your nature. A Jew whose his whole Judaism is mechanical and external and superficial, and is not in touch with his Jewishness, doesn't feel at least on the lower level, doesn't feel this hidden love, this innate, inherent love that we all inherit, that Jewish soul, we have a relationship with Hashem, and therefore, I, let me do something for Hashem, let me, it's a real live relationship, it's a two-way street, what am I doing for Hashem, what have I done today for Hashem? What have I done to make Hashem happy, to bring a smile to Hashem? Have I done anything? No. But I want to. Unless a Jew feels this love, you know, what's going to motivate you? To go beyond your habit, to go beyond your nature. You won't. You'll just do everything that's comfortable, and so this is the only way. So in order to achieve the 101, to achieve this level, you have to evoke this godly love. And that's the analogy. And that analogy in Torah is very precise. What does the analogy add? The analogy the Talmud gives is if a Jew studies 100 times versus it is one who doesn't serve Hashem versus a Jew who serves 101 times. Do I need any analogies to clarify this? It's pretty clear. So the Talmud adds an analogy. It's like you're going to the marketplace and you're renting a donkey and to go 10 parts, uh, which is 40 mil, it cost you a dollar. But a dollar was worth something. Say appearances are deceiving. A dollar bill looks the same today as it did in 1950. And then, <laughs> and then you have, if you go that extra mile, they charge you double. What does the analogy add? How does this clarify? How does this explain? So it's interesting. The Rebbe explains very interestingly. Chamor. Chamor is a donkey. What's the Hebrew word of the word chamor? Chomer. Chumriyot. Your material self, your ego self. What do you mean you're renting a donkey? When you're renting a donkey, it means you don't own the donkey. You're just renting it. Meaning, the chomer doesn't belong to you. The ego doesn't belong to you. The ego has a life of its own. You're not a master of the ego. You're not the tzaddik. The tzaddik has mastered his ego, has overcome his ego. There's no longer any ego. He's egoless. But you are the bainani. We're talking about the bainani. The bainani is not a master of the ego. He doesn't own his ego. He's renting it. He's using. He's using his ego to serve Hashem. He's controlling the expressions of the ego. Thought, speech, action, behavior. But he can't control the ego itself. It's subconscious. You have an ego and you can't control it. And you go through the entire life, you'll have an ego. That's the bainity. That's the struggle that we're destined to struggle with for the rest of our lives. And never take it for granted for a minute. So we're renting it. And we're utilizing the ego, the chomer, by pushing our egos and going beyond our nature. We're struggling. We're trying to change. We're still in the middle of the struggle of good and evil, of negative and positive. And by rising above our nature and pushing ourselves and going beyond... That's how you touch Hashem. That's the, that's the hero of the Tanya. The hero of the Tanya is the Benini. 
And that's most Jews. That's 99.9% of Jews. This is, this is the whole purpose of creation. The tzaddik is more like the leader, the guide, the guiding light, the denizen of the future, the citizen of the future. The tzaddik is giving us a glimpse of Mashiach. But the reality of today, the hero of today, is really the Benini. The soldiers are the Benini. They're the ones who are actually going to win the war. It's their service, their sacrifice, their, that actually wins the war the sacrifice and the, the struggle between good and evil and every push that we do and every movement that we make, the slightest movement and everything that we have to overcome, every difficulty and every obstacle, this, we win the war. And this brings Mashiach. It's that struggle and overcoming that struggle and succeeding. This is what brings Mashiach. This is what will bring the light. This is what will bring the transformation when the entire world will all become tzaddik. It comes as a result of our sacrifice today, here and now. This is what Hashem finds infinitely pleasurable. This is what gives Hashem infinite pleasure. So this is what it's all about. There's a chomer, there's a very thick chomer, a donkey, a nice donkey, a good donkey, a real donkey. That's us. And it says the nature of a donkey is that even in Tammuz, when the sun is shining in its most intense heat, it's cold. It's cold. That's the nature of the donkey. It's cold. It has to cover himself even most intense heat. It could be a holiday. It could be the tzaddik is melting away because he's so excited and enthusiastic and inspired. And our donkey just walks right through, cold, indifferent, unmoved, untouched, uninspired. The mountain is on fire and, you know, no reaction, no response, no movement, no change. The same today as we were yesterday, if not worse. And this is the Chomer. This is what we're dealing with. And we're trying to rent the Chomer, trying to harness it, to use it in the right direction. We're taking it to holiness, but we don't master it. It's not that a holiness has mastered the donkey, and we have holiness has, has owns the donkey. Holiness does not own the donkey. The donkey remains a donkey. But holiness could rent the donkey and harness the donkey. And by overcoming, pushing the donkey to go that extra parsa, to go that extra kilometer, this is more precious than everything else. And this is what gives value to the whole trip. This proves that everything that you're doing is genuine and authentic. And you're alive. You're genuinely alive. Your relationship is alive. You've activated the godly spark. When do we know that you've activated the godly spark? That the Jew within the Jew, the pintle the spark within us is alive and well and vibrant and healthy. It's only when you go that extra calamity. When you go that extra. Extra few steps when you push yourself. So, this is the challenge. This is the 15th chapter. This is the challenge. This is one of the most powerful chapters in the Tanya. Hasidim live with this chapter. An Ovid, the ideal of a Jew is to serve Hashem. And serve Hashem means working on your character, working on yourself, trying to change, trying to take one aspect of your calendar. He's not asking something earth shattering, trying to take one aspect of yourself. Work on it, polish it, refine it, overcome a difficulty, stretch. Go beyond yourself, surprise yourself. And that's when you come alive. Who is the teacher that's most memorable? Which teacher is your most memorable teacher? The teacher that made you feel comfortable? Or the teacher that made you feel uncomfortable? Because they pushed you beyond your limit. At the time you may have been miserable, but at the end... 
That's the teacher that left the deepest impression in Because he forced you to discover areas, to discover depth inside of yourself, to discover that you would never discover it. And it turns out that's the part you enjoy the most. Because it's a novelty. It's something new. It's something different. Okay. If, however, he wages no war at all, not engaging even in the lesser struggle of arousing the love hidden within him, for example, when he studies only to the limits of his natural diligence, then, although he employs his hidden love of God in his divine service, yet this love in itself can in no way be credited to his service, and he is therefore called he who serves him not. To be designated one who serves God, the Benini must engage in a struggle with his evil inclination, either through a love of God born of meditation, or at least by arousing his hidden love. If a Jew doesn't struggle, then he's coasting along. We're born with a Jewish soul, and that's why a Jew will serve Hashem. That's, of course, he's, doing, he's being Jewish. He's studying Torah all day. We're talking about a Benini. A Jew is perfect. His behavior level is perfect. He's studying Torah all day. He's doing everything that's right. He's hitting all the right buttons, doing everything that's right. Mitzvot, his entire life. But he's not serving Hashem. He's spiritually dead. There's no light. There's no spark. There's no spunk. There's no energy. And uh, he's not really, has no real connection with Hashem. He's, the Pasuk, the verse says, he's not serving Hashem. Almost serving himself. He's, he's doing his comfortable. Of course, if he, had, if he didn't have a Jewish soul, he wouldn't be studying Torah all day. He would be studying math and science and physics. Of course, he's studying Torah because he's a Jew. But that, that's not something that he's accomplished. That's an inheritance. Because you're Jewish, you're born into it. You didn't have to work for it. Those riches were not yours. You didn't earn those riches. You were, born, you were born into it. You didn't earn it. Like, you know, you, you're spoiled. You're born into it. So you were born in the palace. But you didn't do anything. It's, it's not you. And therefore you're not serving. It's, because every day, everything you have didn't come from you. It's not your accomplishment. It's not yours. It's only what you sacrifice that you can, that's yours. That's truly yours. What was difficult for you to do, that's yours. No one could take that away from you. That's your personal signature. That you own. That you possess. That's where you put your soul into it. You put your heart and soul into it. You put your heart and soul into something that's difficult for you to do. A person who never had any difficulties in his life. A person who never had any challenges in his life. A person who never, never really had to put his heart and soul into anything. So everything is very superficial. So it's not, a, it's not a challenge, it's not a curse, it's a blessing. And this is the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of life is to change nature. Not just negative nature, negative habits. We're talking about positive habits. A Jew studying Torah, doing mitzvahs, doing everything perfect. But he's doing it out of habit. The purpose in life, and this is today's Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the beginning of the Exodus, it's all about changing nature, the miracles. The miracles of the Exodus was about changing nature. The miracle changed nature. Because this is what Jewish life is all about. This is where the Exodus begins. By changing nature, rising above nature. And not only a negative nature, positive nature. The nature that God created the world, not negative, but 
Hashem shattered every law of nature during the Exodus. Because a Jew has to change even his positive nature. And it's only a miracle that reveals Hashem to us. When you experience a miracle, you see the hand of Hashem. When does a Jew see a miracle, see the hand of Hashem in your personal life? When could you experience? When you act miraculously. When you act miraculously means when you go beyond your nature, when you change your nature. That's when you see the hand of Hashem in your life. That's when you feel the spirit of Hashem in your life. And that's the only way you can really contact and connect with Hashem. It's the only way. That's the point of contact. When you go beyond your nature, change your nature, rise above your nature, even positive nature. So this is the, this is the challenge of Yitziat Mitzrayim, to go beyond our limits. Mitzrayim means lim- limitation. It doesn't necessarily mean negative. Mitzrayim Ogvolim, any limitation, even positive, holy limitation. It's already a limitation. It's natural. And the essence of a Jew is really about our whole being is miraculous. Isaac, Yitzchak, the very first born Jew, was miraculous. <coughs> Broke every law in the book. Born to a 90-year-old mother and 100-year-old father. And it's been uphill ever since. Our entire survival is miraculous. Our entire existence is miraculous. Our birth as a people, the exodus is miraculous. Forty years in the desert was miraculous. The Jewish lifestyle is miraculous. To live in this world that we live in, and to live by the Torah, to live up to the morality and ethics and spiritual standards of the Torah, while having your feet firmly planted in this world and being a practical, down-to-earth person, being a successful person, and at the same time living by the Torah is miraculous, nothing short of miraculous. There's nothing natural about it. It's all about rising above your nature, changing your nature, and constant challenge. And this is when we come alive. This is when we make contact with Hashem. This is the whole purpose of creation. If a Jew remembers that, that this, is, uh, this is what Hashem is waiting for. This is what gives Hashem infinite pleasure. And a Jew has it because we have a love for Hashem, we care about Hashem, we want to put a smile on Hashem's face. We want Hashem. We want to excite Hashem. Can you imagine? We can do something as insignificant as we are, as tiny, as puny as we are. We can do something that causes Hashem to smile, to laugh, to entertain Hashem, to give Hashem real pleasure, genuine pleasure. The angels can't do it. No one in the universe. We are the only ones in the entire universe. They have the ability to give Hashem pleasure, to move Hashem. It's one thing to be moved by Hashem, but to move Hashem, now that's, that's powerful. And the only way we can move Hashem, we can move Hashem to tears, the only way we can move Hashem is when we sacrifice, when we do something that's difficult for us to do. That moves Hashem no end. That gives Hashem such pleasure we can't even begin to fathom. Just conclude, there's a story of the, uh, the Alter Rebbe. There was a Jew in his town. It was a Jew in a Hasidic town. He went off the deep end spiritually. He really went off the reservation. And, but the Hasidim, out of love, the fellow Jew, tried to bring him close. They would invite him to come to Shul. They would talk to him and be nice to him. And invite him to come to Avin and Fabring. But they saw no results. Year after year... No change. So they asked the Rebbe, are they wasting their time? I mean, they don't see any positive change. You know, they're being very nice to him and kind and bringing him in. So the Rebbe answered them. He says, let me tell you. If this Jew had ten negative thoughts a day, but as a result of you bringing him in, 
instead of ten, he overcomes himself. And instead, he only has nine negative thoughts. You can't imagine the infinite pleasure that that gives to Hashem. Only Hashem could, could evaluate the infinite value of the slightest, tiniest movement, the baby step forward that a Jew does for the sake of Hashem. Why would the Jew overcome himself and instead of having ten negative thoughts, only have nine negative thoughts? He's, doing it, he's only doing it because he's a Jew. For the sake of Hashem, let me do something. So this is, this is all he's doing. But even the slightest positive movement, it moves Hashem to no end. Because it's a struggle. It was a conflict. And the Jew overcame that struggle. That's his struggle, that's his conflict. And that's his baby step forward. He's climbing up. And only Hashem could, could judge this and evaluate this. Never judge a book by its cover. Only Hashem knows what's going on inside a heart. It's difficult. It wasn't it difficult? Was it easy? Wasn't it easy? And this gives Hashem tremendous... Who says Hashem wants our nirvana? Nirvana is not a, is not a Jewish concept. Nirvana, peace of mind. <laughs> Who says Hashem wants our nirvana? In the grave, you'll have nirvana. While we're alive, life is a struggle. Life is avoid. Life, a man was created to struggle. That's the reality. It's not a, a punishment. Before Adam sinned, it says God created Adam in Gan Eden to work. Work is not a punishment. Because it's only when we work, when we struggle, that we truly, truly own something. We truly feel alive. The Zohar says when something is given to us on a, on a, on a platter, on a silver platter, it's called bread of shame. In heaven, all the revelations and all the godly experiences that the soul experiences in a disembodied body in heaven before the soul is born is bread of shame. It's like everything is handed to you on a silver platter. A person who has no difficulties, no negative habits, no challenges, just coasts along, it's bread of shame. It's when a Jew struggles and a Jew has to choose and a Jew that you earn it. You earn it. The Talmud says a person would rather have one measure that you own, that you earn, rather than nine measures of something that's given to you free. Because it doesn't give you pleasure. It's only something that you sacrifice that gives you pleasure, that you own. It's personal, individual. So this is the whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation is that when we overcome the struggle and overcome the difficulty, 